Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is Mitchell Newbert. Uh, he's at Baylor University. He's a senior associate dean for research and faculty development. Uh, he holds the Siobhan Chair in Christian Ethics and Business. Uh, he's a professor of management. And we're going to talk about the, the topic of the role Christianity plays in business. So, Mitchell, welcome and thanks for coming. Great, my pleasure. Yeah, tell me a bit about your history and then how you got onto this topic and you know to where you're at today. Sure. Well, I'm at Baylor University, which for those who uh, aren't familiar, is an institution that has a mission statement that involves Christian values and beliefs. And so it's in a unique situation in academia where we haven't really abandoned that for the sake of uh, research aspirations or other things that seems to be the path that some universities have taken. We have tried to hold that firm as something that's essentially what we do while we uh, have uh, advanced our research to an R1 status. And, and so we're unique in that in, in that aspect. And as a result, that creates a unique space for me to feel free to think about how my faith, which is uh, very central to me and has been for a, a large portion of my life, might play out in my teaching and in my research. And so that, that probably gives me the freedom more than other people who can't really have those conversations with colleagues in the halls, you know, about how faith might impact those things. But we can hear Baylor, and that's a, a real blessing. Oh, they don't, you know, it's received in an okay way. It's not uh, vilified or anything. No, no. Uh, in fact, we, uh, I lead some seminars here. We talk about how that's a strategic, you know, a distinctive of ours to actually be able to bring the whole person into the classroom, the whole person in discussions about research. And I was trained at a regular university, uh, kind of a, the Big Ten Research Institution, University of Iowa, and certainly there it wasn't popular to talk about spiritual things. And I think most professors are socialized to keep that out of their conversations. It's a bit taboo to think about spiritual aspects of people's lives. But uh, the reason why I think it's an advantage for those who do think about that is that that does explain, I think, a huge, sometimes most significant part of why we do things, what drives us, what our motivations are, how maybe we uh, withstand difficult situations, why we're resilient or not. And so I think we have actually a, a opening there as a researcher in particular to understand really what's happening when we measure and assess what's happening in behavioral science, for example, by actually including spiritual variables and, and thinking about how that might be the you know, explanation that other people aren't looking for. Well, what does that mean? What's an example of the spiritual variables that you would consider that most people would? Sure. Well, one example that a colleague and I worked on, we were, uh, uh, he had initiated this project of trying to gain some information about uh, what explained the success of microfinanced entrepreneurs, you know, those folks who get small loans, particularly in developing countries. In this case, we are in Kenya and Indonesia working with some groups there. And we were trying to understand like what makes them successful because obviously that's our hope is that they would use that money and help themselves you know, out of poverty. But so we had the kind of standard questions that related to how much money they were going to receive, what was their social network, you know, what was their, you know, and, and uh, we categorized each of this as a, as a kind of capital. So a financial capital, a social capital, a human capital around their education or, or training, even a psychological capital about their personality or, or level of optimism. So we had a number of these like 
factors or variables in research were described that we expected would, would explain part of the success of these microfinance entrepreneurs to sell their products, to be innovative, and then also to attract and retain employees. And what we found out is we had actually another variable that we put in there called spiritual capital, which in, it's really was a measure of faith centrality or faith maturity, like how important was their relationship with God? Did they consider God to be present in their work? That was kind of a vertical set of questions. And then there also was a horizontal set of questions about, does your faith impact how you treat other people? Does your faith motivate you to do certain behaviors that are pro-social? Anyways, this measure of spiritual capital, after we controlled for, accounted for the financial capital, the human capital, the social capital, the psychological capital, spiritual capital still predicted or added to our variance explained. That's kind of your research lingo there. But and and we we you know we were the ones who included that, or other studies were left that out. And actually, it, it after all those things were controlled, it still was a significant predictor of those important variables about how many, you know, their sales, their people that work with them, and also how innovative they were. So, I mean, that's an example of just adding that extra element that maybe somebody else wouldn't add, and we explain more of a phenomena that we're interested in understanding. But what does that mean? Like, the people that were of faith, they're, what, they did better with the loans? They paid them back more often? Like, what, what specific metrics did you evaluate? Yeah, those three metrics were those ideas of like, how much, what were their sales? And those were, uh, you know, kind of standardized related, you know, to say, what they were, you know, what they were selling. I mean, it would, you know, in other products, they standardized this kind of was a measure of, of sales, a measure of like how often they kind of changed their product or, you know, or how many different kinds of products they sold. These typical, you know, these were microfinance folks who were, you know, running vegetable stands or things that were relatively straight and uh, simple, uh, but also like how many people they employed to maybe sell the vegetables or go get fresh water or sell the, you know, the soda or pop that they're selling, you know. So if we were looking at those kinds of performance metrics, sales, innovations, and number of people that work with them. Certainly the company had, you know, some data about paybacks, but we didn't actually look at that one. So, and I'm sure they did because that's important to keep, <laughs> keep the money coming back in so you can fund more, but that wasn't the focus of our study. So what, what other situations do you want to include these factors to see how, how much of a role they play? I think you're gonna, you can look at a number of different areas and ask yourself, well, would we understand this better if we accounted for somebody's spiritual life or how central it is? And, and let me say one thing that it's, it's not new for a study to maybe capture religious tradition or religious background. And that can explain some things, but actually it can be disappointing as well because, for example, there's a, there was a research stream for a while in ethics that basically said, well, you know, we added in these religious variables, but it didn't seem to explain that people were acting more ethically and, you know, in face of different decisions or challenges. But then what I think a little bit, taking a closer look at how they measured, you know, faith or religion, they realized just saying that you're part of a you know, a denomination or, or a religion, just affiliation isn't significant. You actually have to be engaged in that, in that, right? It has to be central to your life. So we started researchers, not just myself, but researchers over time have tried to focus more on like how important it is to you or how salient it is instead of just where you're affiliated, because the affiliation doesn't seem to predict much, but in some cases it does, but it doesn't predict as much as you hope. But when you actually get down to centrality, how important it is with, to somebody, then you can predict if they're going to, again, resist the temptations, if they're going to be 
persevering in difficult situations uh, like you might expect or you might propose if they have a strong faith, they might be able to draw on those resources of ethics and, and spiritual resources to actually, you know, do the right thing at the workplace and persevere through difficult, you know, circumstances. So so that's one thing, you know, comes to mind as we're doing this is it's adding the right variable, not just adding like an affiliation variable. Another example from, from my research was just understanding why people would be committed to an organization. And you know, if your job's not very satisfying, typically that's a strong predictor of not being committed to the organization. You want to look around and leave. But what we found is that those who felt spiritually called, who felt like God God was with them in their work and that God had you know compelled them or, or they felt accountable to God in, in doing their work, that they would be committed to the organization even uh, when their jobs weren't very satisfying. So that helped us understand when does job satisfaction, you know, not relate to commitment. It, if you consider somebody's faith affiliation, excuse me, not affiliation with their centrality of their faith, you find out that actually that might help explain who will persist through a difficult situation, whereas maybe somebody else might not. Hmm. Do you have specifics of this or is this new that you, you're going to be looking at things this way, but you haven't yet? Oh, that, there was a study that we published in a journal of business ethics where it showed this interaction that that those with spiritual calling it would persist even when they had like lower levels i mean they would you know be committed to the organization even when they had lower levels of of job satisfaction now you know that that doesn't mean that terrible terrible job uh you know, a person with faith is not going to quit no you know that it's just say overall if we work in behavioral science and kind of probabilities they'd be more likely you know to to stay and stick it out is what the results would suggest but how much more or a lot <laughs> that's that's a good question how much would they put up with uh you know we didn't we didn't measure that maybe that's the next study is that not if they're uh you know, how long and what kinds of things would they persevere through and who would persevere through them more than others? I think, you know, there's a lot of research now in, in related to resiliency, right? Bouncing back from but, things or persisting. You know, actually, sorry, one thing comes to mind is that actually may have the opposite effect. You know, if a person of a strong Christian faith is in a job that they feel is contradictory to their to Christian values, they'd be more likely to leave it, I would think, you know, if uh, things aren't going well because they're like, not only am I doing this job that I really don't agree with, but it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And I really don't like it. And again, it goes against my beliefs. So I just don't want to do it anymore. So maybe it have the opposite effect in some cases. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you're you're right. Of course, we were just asking about their um, job satisfaction and about their commitment to the organization. And we do know from the organizational commitment uh, literature that, you know, uh, value fit is a huge thing. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if we ask some other questions in that study about, you know, how do your Christian values fit with? The values of the organization. I mean, that too would predict, right? But in the opposite way, meaning it's if it's a misfit, then they'd be more likely to leave. But in this particular case, we were just kind of focused on this issue of your job itself, not not necessarily the organizational values. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it could go the other way. And faith doesn't always like, you know, win the day in terms of always being positive, right? You know, it certainly at certain times, you know, could relate to something where, you know, an organization might, you know, hesitate to promote faith or a faith-friendly, you know, environment. Right. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, 
the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Are you going to be continuing with the study in different areas? Or like what's next for these types of questions? Where do you want to go with it? Sure. Well, we did some initial work on this in, in entrepreneurs and and we're still kind of trying to extend that. So there's some research that my graduate student here, a graduate student that I worked with who is who's working in this space, we're trying to connect entrepreneurs and their kind of well being and if their if their faith actually allows them to cope through difficult things, because this is another one of those areas where faith can maybe have an impact on difficult, challenging, com- you know, let's say uncertain environments for common for entrepreneurs, right? Could they have their religious kind of coping you know, resources to actually persist? And it does seem like in our initial study in this space that that is that does turn out to be true, right? That they'll continue on in, in that because they have these extra resources. So in fact, there's actually a colleague of mine, David Miller, who's at Princeton, and he does work in this space and works with organizations and, and kind of navigating them through this space. And early on, he did a study where he kind of a sociological like review of all the different ways that faith were, you know, was integrated into work. And he came up with four areas. One is ethics. And I've certainly done some things in that space, trying to figure out how ethics impact the workplace and particularly maybe Christians who have ethical principles and how that impacts the workplace. Another place is enrichment, meaning that you're a faith, a person's faith. And of course, we're talking about, in some cases, we're not talking just about Christianity. We're talking about faith traditions sometimes broadly, but but certain studies, we just primarily had Christians we were dealing with. But it actually, this relates to Christians, but it, it does map onto some other kind of religion as well. But ethics is one thing that religion seems to help us kind of manifest different ethics. And we've done some work in there. Enrichment, where you actually have extra resources, you feel like they're kind of help you in the workplace. And that could be just the sense of God being with you uh, and being able to cope and persist, uh, maybe wisdom, maybe other things that you feel like you bring to the table because your faith background, maybe the support of uh, people behind you, they're you know supporting and praying for you. But that's the second one. So ethics and enrichment is another way that people integrate. The third one is, is more of a expression, like people integrate their faith by speaking about it in the workplace or, or wearing certain things that, you know, demonstrating it. We find out that one actually leads to a little bit more pushback in the workplace, that people are less comfortable with that. And, and organizations, I think there's there's a need for more research to figure out like when, you know, when and how can we encourage different expressions of faith and when does it actually become counterproductive for the organization to support those. So that's an area of research that I haven't done much research in. We initially have found that people who have high levels of like faith integration around expression do get a little, have higher levels of perceived discrimination. So there might be a little backlash there if you try to bring your faith into the workplace and sharing with others about what's important to you or wearing, you know, certain clothes that signify your faith. And then the last one is the one I talked about with calling. It's called experience. So each one of these four areas historically kind of these movements of faith integration kind of fit in these four areas. And that last one, I'll explain a little bit more. That's more like that calling, like faith might help you to experience your workplaces at different, differently, or it's more meaningful. You feel like God's called you to it. Um, like in, for those of us that adhere to a kind of Judeo-Christian tradition, we believe that that um, God has given us a mandate from the beginning of time to be involved in helping the world flourish, and you know, and and helping manage and cultivate and the earth and all of its inhabitants, right? So you, if you feel like God's called you to do something, a business is part of that, I mean, that can change your experience of maybe even the mundane routine. So I did a little research in that calling space, and that's probably a space I'd, I'd like to explore a little bit more with what else does it impact when you feel called or you feel like you are you have a mandate from God to do well and to be excellent in the workplace. Hmm. 
Have you have you interviewed people that have said that that's why they're in their given profession? Absolutely. Yeah. One of these ways back, some colleagues and I from sociology, we um, uh, Kevin Doherty and, and Jerry Park, we uh, we received that National Science Foundation in this area where we were trying to figure out how faith might impact work and specifically entrepreneurial like endeavors. And so we spent a lot of time in that space, you know, trying to figure out to what extent it does does impact those areas. And so, you know, that I think your specific question, maybe I just forgot when I was talking about that grant, but we did do some interviews. That's what I was thinking. We did do some interviews as part of that. So it wasn't just survey research, which is some of the work I do. But in this case, we went out into different parts of the U.S. based on our initial survey work. We tracked down uh, places where people said that their churches or congregations were helping them integrate their faith into work. And then I went out to New Jersey and interviewed some kind of traditional mainline churches, some that were really strong in this faith integration, and then another one that wasn't. And then uh, another colleague went up to Michigan and, and interviewed some evangelicals, and then another church that was evangelical but didn't have that same emphasis. We went into black churches, went into Korean churches, we went into Catholic churches. And in those interviews, so I have all this data, right, where we interview people and actually kind of ask them, like, what does it mean? Or how does your faith work? It's way out. And we thought maybe we'd find another E or another another dimension, but they seemed to all fall in those areas that either shape their ethics, like their work ethic, they're also with their ethics of what's right and wrong and what, what they would not would not do at work, it, you know, change their experience at work, or even maybe what kinds of work they chose to do, right? Perhaps those, not everyone had the same choice, but right, they might've made a choice to kind of interact, have a job that interacted more with people or had a direct way to serve people because of their faith. You know, and then we found the other ones as well. And there we found that people were also feeling like they drew strength from their faith affiliation and also were felt like it's also a place where they might be able to share with other people and maybe, you know, again, be a, a witness of sorts to other people around them. So we found those in those interviews. So yeah, people testified how that was uh, really important to them to bring their faith in the workplace and it made a difference for them. I don't know, like in your work, do you feel like you were called? Maybe uh, you might be a good example of, you know, some of your feelings and thoughts about it would, would be the start of a study on it. Yeah, I think that's part, you know, actually, I think good research is often kind of autobiographical, right? It, it comes out of questions you face. So I'm a leadership and ethics researcher, and part of that is, is having observed uh, some good leaders and some bad leaders and <laughs> trying to figure out what's the difference, right? But my faith uh, research is driven by the fact that I do feel like because of a relationship with God that I started kind of my teens with Jesus Christ was uh, has, has made a positive impact on me and and has shaped what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, it's shaped where I wanted to be in a position where I could try to build into other people's lives and help equip them to be you know, effective professionals. And so that is certainly that idea of a calling. It really was part of moving me to Baylor, even though I kind of grew up in the Midwest, coming down all the way down to Texas to be a part of this grand experiment of maintaining our Christian mission, but also uh, being excellent at research and teaching was unique. And so I came down here, felt called to be a part of this. It wasn't some kind of mysterious call, like, you know, God appeared to me in a, a shiny light or spoke words to me in the dark. I mean, they that might be part of some people's calling, but mine was just a strong kind of uh, confidence after, you know, praying about it, thinking about it, consulting with wise people that I knew that this was a place that I could be effective in, in building into young people's lives. And hopefully I've done a bit of that while I've been here. So well, um, I've been here 20 years, over 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. Do people bring faith to work mentally even? Or do a lot of people, they live two lives, you know, one at work with work stuff and, you know, at home or at church, then then they let the faith out. But otherwise it, it doesn't really come into play during the day. Right. There's, there's kind of a long kind of 
philosophical discussion about that, about if actually, you know, kind of a two spheres approach, like we have different spheres and at least two of those might be faith and work. There might be others, you know, family and, and recreation or whatever, and whether all those things intersect or overlap. And for a while at Baylor and probably other schools, even those who are faith friendly said, well, that's fine. We can have, you know, student activities that are fun or, you know, that involve faith, but let's not integrate it too much into the classroom. Uh, but Baylor really a ways back, several kind of decades back, or, and maybe I'm even short selling them here, but decided that, hey, you know what? We don't see that really as the scriptural biblical story about how someone lives out their faith. It's not like you live one way on Sunday and another one on Monday, you actually should be the same person across all those spheres. And uh, though certainly they don't completely overlap, there should be a significant overlap. And so we, we actually try to work that here because I think there's naturally, there's a pull and even our society, you know, trying to s separate the secular and the, and the sacred division of, you know, church and, and state, a number of these things that kind of seem to pull us away from that. But we uh, we think it's actually, again, a, a very good thing to think about how you could be a person, and I'll, I'll define this specifically, and it might be different than other people might define it, but to be a person of integrity would be a person who's integrated, right, who is the same on, on Monday as they are on Sunday. And so we try to encourage that by people actually not dictating what their values should be, but helping them think through those things and thinking about then, okay, how can, you know, those important values on Sunday work their way out on Monday? But I don't think it's a natural process just because I, like I said, everything's kind of seems like several things are pulling us away from that. But I think when we do, and I, in my own experience and the students I've worked with and, and friends, when we do integrate, we, there's a satisfaction in knowing that, that right? We're, we're the authentic person. We're, we're the same person and we don't have these kind of double or dual lives. So, and I think another thing I just, I thought of is this does provide inspiration. And again, it's one of these things where I talk about like resources for my work life. And so to separate them actually would put me at a disadvantage. I, having them connected is a, is a blessing. Some of my best research ideas have probably come out of reflecting on my faith. For example, this is a little more implicit though, the topic itself might jump out to some who have a kind of religious background, but some of my research on leadership is around servant leadership, all right? And I saw that first for me. I saw that in the scriptures and in, in the model of Christ. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if that'll work in the business world. Is it going to transfer over? <laughs> and being a researcher, I decided to test it. And so I was one of a group of folks, and there's several others involved, but where we started uh, researching this about two decades ago. And now there's, I think, almost over 500. I, I think I'm short selling that as well. Studies around servant leadership and its impact in the workplace. And servant leadership is certainly a unique kind of leadership that can be informed by your faith. It doesn't have to be. But boy, the, the results are just crystal clear that when there's a servant leader who looks out for other people's interests, who's concerned about their growth, who gives them a voice and, and treats them as a you know partner, not just somebody that reports to them, that people respond well. Right? They're more committed, they're more creative, they work harder, their teams function at a higher level. And so, I mean, that is kind of an example that kind of takes us back to the beginning about how I've been doing research in this area. But I think it comes out of the fact that I something in my face spurred me to think about an idea, leadership, servant leadership. Then I put it kind of into practice through research and then saw practitioners also doing it and was able to confirm that that's a great way to lead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, as as you and maybe other people you've spoken to are doing their work, are they checking in with their faith? Are they checking in with, for instance, Holy Spirit? You know, should I be working on this? How should I respond to this situation? You know, what questions should I be asking, et cetera? Like, is there a, a lot of back and forth like that? Or is it, again, like people have their faith, but their job's their job, and it's separate, even though 
maybe they're thinking about this stuff during the day. They're they're still acting in their job in a totally secular way. You're right. I think actually it's, and I think every person's experience is going to be different here. But I, I, I think from my own experience and the people I talk to, I mean, it's a challenge to, to think about sometimes your faith and how it impacts what you're doing, because there's so many things in front of us, the things we have to get done, tasks we have to you know, complete, problems we have to solve, that sometimes we can forget to reflect on our faith. I don't think that doesn't mean that faith isn't being integrated, because if your faith is central to you, it's shaping your attitudes and your motives, and, and so it's having an impact there. But but I do actually think it's a helpful process to check myself in the morning or when appropriate throughout the day and just to say, am I doing what I'm doing with the right motives? Am I doing this in a way that honors God and actually asking for wisdom uh, before I go into a meeting? You know, it's it's a little bit unique here. Baylor, again, I, I tried to describe that. No one's forced to pray, but, you know, it wouldn't be a strange thing for us to pray before an important meeting to ask for wisdom when we're doing strategic planning or talking through some faculty issues. And so I think we're all in a uh, process of journey of learning. Those people were interested in trying to integrate their faith, and some are maybe farther along than me, which I'm sure there are many. But I, I am, I'm still working at trying to not only start the day and to live that out with my intentions, but actually kind of remind myself along the way of those resources, of that motivation and sense of satisfaction I can receive if I reflect on my faith during, during my work day. You know, what about doing a study of people that you know are of faith? They're at the workplace, whether it's supportive or not, and how they handle situations that they consider to be, uh, you know, against Christianity's teachings. Yeah, no, I think I think there's a, a range for studies that could happen in that area. I do think, honestly, you know, this culturally as a nation, you know, we it might be too simplistic. I'm sure it is to say that we used to be kind of more accepting of Christian cultural norms, and now there's uh, there's a pushback in certain you know areas. And I think just as you think about it, like as as Europe did this, as they kind of moved away from their faith, uh, they were maybe less friendly to those who wanted to continue to make faith a conversation in the public square. So I think there's actually probably room for trying to understand if people of Christian faith or actually other faiths, the Muslim or, you know, any faith, what kind of pushback they get when they do try to integrate their faith. Uh, and I'm sure the more explicit you are about it, the more pushback you get. So that's part of our research has found that when you verbalize it, you get more pushback than if you just try to live it out with, you know, a good work ethic and treating other people like you want to be treated, that kind of thing. So there's there's definitely something we learned about maybe uh, ways that are going to be more receptive to others about living out your faith and then some of the repercussions for those who do it, even in like appropriate and reasonable and gentle ways, like just working hard and trying to love other people like you want to be loved. And sometimes even then you might get some pushback if you uh, if they know you're coming from a faith perspective. But but we'll see. I mean, that's why we do research, trying to figure out as things change, you know, how, uh, how these kind of phenomena will play out. Yeah, I mean, what about, I don't know, something that would help people, again, that are our faith, whatever faith it may be, navigate the workplace in a better way without it causing them spiritual distress. Right. Actually, there's a fair bit of work around, for example, prayer and the benefits of those who pray. And this is a this is just from a measurement of prayer that you do it, not necessarily measuring, which would be really difficult to do if, if those prayers are answered or to what extent prayer evokes a supernatural response. But just the act of praying, we do find, you know, is one of these kind of coping mechanisms that, that helps people have a more satisfying work experience as well as helps through a number of difficult situations in, in terms of health problems and others. So I think there, there could be ways to expand and, and should be, you know, ways to expand beyond faith look at other ways that maybe we integrate our faith, different kinds of spiritual practices, and how those spiritual practices might impact our ability to 
handle difficult situations, but also maybe even excel. You know, we, we did our initial study where it was just very simple. One of our initial studies in this NSF study was just that we found out that, excuse me, that, that entrepreneurs prayed more than people who were in the workplace. And we should have probably dug in a little bit more about that. We asked some questions in those interviews about it, but haven't really written anything up about this. But, you know, we, what we kind of surmised was when you're, when life's uncertain, when you're facing maybe, um, situations where you could lose all the money you invested or your company might go broke or you're hard pressed for good ideas to try and grow your company. I mean, people pray, right? They realize they're kind of at the end of their rope. They need to pray or they're so uncertain. They have to pray and ask for kind of the fortitude or insight to keep, you know, moving forward. And so I think that that was an interesting finding we had right off the bat that some are actually going to feel like some different workplaces are going to actually feel like they need to integrate faith more to get them through the day, get them through difficult situations where maybe other people are going to feel like it doesn't seem as relevant to them. And that's also an area to kind of dig in and do some research. Well, I guess last thing, uh, how can a workplace support its uh, its staff that are of faith without being invasive, without making them feel bad, but you know, supporting them somehow right. the way they want to be? Absolutely. And this is, uh, you know, this this idea of faith-friendly workplaces is something that some organizations have, you know, gotten some traction on. Like Tyson Foods has tried to not just, uh, and this is the, the actual, you know, company that produces, you know, from chickens to the, you know, to the grocery store, that kind of work. And some of their jobs are very glorious, but they, they need to get done in order for us to enjoy, you know, the chicken we get from the grocery store, right? But how they've tried to figure out in even contexts like that, you know, how they can allow people to have that expression. Sometimes it, it is allowing them a place to gather and it's not mandatory, right? It'd be voluntary, a place for those people to gather, to be find people of similar faith and be encouraged by that. It might take place in terms of different policies or procedures. And I think as we invite different faiths into the workplace, you know, there's different holidays that might, you know, people want might want to celebrate. And so there might be uh, some policies around like flexibility around scheduling or flexibility around, you know, when you can take your holidays, some of those things that allow organizations to to allow somebody who has a very you know, kind of important holiday that they'd like to celebrate, that they can take that off somehow. But those are, those are, you know, just two quick examples of things that an organization could do just to think about how they might accommodate that interest with while still achieving organizational goals. And then, of course, there are going to be maybe requests that they can't be accommodated because of the work of the organization that needs to get done. But I, I think sometimes uh, organizations are hesitant to ask because they think it's just easier to exclude those kinds of conversations or those kinds of expressions in the workplace. But it when they do, then they, they lose uh, the opportunity maybe to motivate some of their employees, to encourage some of their employees, or even attract some of their employees. And and this was one of the attract and retain. And this is actually another study we did. And we did find out that when a like a founder of an organization was up front in their desire for their organization, their entrepreneurial endeavor to glorify God, that 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 made that more attractive for those who had similar values, just kind of like what you said earlier, right? I mean, it really didn't impact very much to those who didn't have those those same values. And in fact, it actually probably decreased a little bit the attractiveness of it. But if there's some, you know, if, if those people who were more attractive because of their faith, you know, they may not have come to that company, you know, if that company wasn't open about what they were doing. But as a result, they were far more motivated to go there as a possible job opportunity. So yes, there could be a, you know, double-edged sword. You could actually attract some people and other people might not work, not want to work there. But I, I hope that as companies do this, they wouldn't be excluding other people, but they would be trying to figure out ways to include people and welcome people and, and figure out, you know, how people can feel a sense of belonging in the workplace as they bring their whole self to the workplace. 
Well, very good. Mitch, what's the best way for people to uh, learn more about your work and to see the results of some of these studies? Like, where can they go first? Sure. Well, you know, we uh, we, we tend to, as academics, uh, one of the short, you know, uh, quick ways to do this is kind of go into, like, Google Scholar and search. You know, you search on my name and you can plug in some of these things like calling or spiritual capital and some of those articles would pop up. But you could also find me at Baylor. I continue to be involved in these kinds of things. They could drop me an email and we could I could kind of point them in the right direction if they'd like to. So that'd be great. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really interesting conversation and it sounds like there are many more questions to ask and studies to be done. So I look forward to, to seeing more of your work as it comes. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to share some thoughts and, and the work we're doing. Thank you. Excellent. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.